0: Uh, Can you thank them once more? Isn't that fun just to be able to sing together and acknowledge God's goodness? All right, do me a favor, track down a Bible and get with me to Luke chapter 10 on the Bibles that we have. In the Bibles we have here, uh, it would be on page 842. 842. Um, We're in Luke chapter 10. Now, uh, if you were around when we first started the Machesney Park campus uh, would have been back. I mean, we started in February of 2017 and we did eight preview services, but kind of in the midst of that, we went through this passage together and we talked about doing life on miss, mission. So if you were around back then, this will feel a little bit redundant, but this is such an important feature about who we want to be as a church that it is important that we continue to rehearse this over and over and over again. So we're in Luke chapter 10 and uh, we're going to use that to kind of talk about Um, how we organize as a church and some of the agendas that we pursue. And um, hopefully it'll be a very, very good thing for us to to just rehearse this and remind ourselves of what we're trying to do together. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get to work. All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help right now. We pray, God, that you would speak to us through your word. We ask, God, that we would, as a church community, fully embrace the high calling that we have, God, you don't just want us to attend church. You want us to be alive and active and carriers of your good news and people who are going into the world and sharing the love of God in Christ and doing good and serving people and loving well. So all of that, God, is, is big and, and it's hard and it's hard to organize for. So we're asking for your help. And we pray this morning that your spirit through your word would inspire us, God, that we would be able to march out of here this week with, with a renewed passion for being your people. And so God, we ask right now that you would speak to each one of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we'll, we'll track with the same uh, three points that we made uh, 18 months ago, but we're gonna look at the mission that God has given to us we're going to look at the, me- the message that he's entrusted to us, and then we're going to talk about some motivations for, for, for continuing in, in faithfulness with him. So the mission that we have, um, Jesus here in this story, if you're, if you're kind of tracking with, with um, the progression here, if you remember last week, we said Jesus in verse 51 of chapter nine realized he's going to the cross and he's determined to get there. He's going to Jerusalem, fully aware of what that will mean for him, that he will be crucified, resurrected, and, and, and then um, ascended to glory. But he's going there. And then for you know, chapter nine, all the way through chapter 19, they're traveling around. And one of the things that we said last week, and I think it's really important, not only was Jesus trying to get to the cross, he was also determined to get the cross into his followers, And so it was a traveling experience where people, the disciples are being made um, aware of what it looks like to live a cross-shaped life. And here in chapter 10, he sends out a batch of people. He sends out 72 individuals in pairs to do ministry and to do mission. And that becomes for us kind of a paradigm of what it means to follow him. So we see here in Luke chapter 10 that he sends out his followers, and, and uh, he, he gives them specific instructions. And that helps us then to realize, what does it mean for us today to follow Jesus, to do life on mission, and to have that message of salvation? So the first thing that I want to talk to us about is, we want our church to be what's called missional. Meaning we want the things that we do as a church to really help us think through our identity as people who are sent by Jesus himself into the world in order to help people and to, to make known the message of his salvation. So, so missional church is what we want to pursue, and that means that as a church, the way that we organize, we we could say it like this: we gather, and so, Sunday's the time where we gather, and that's an important an, an important part of of being a church that we gather together. But we do it in such a way that we're helping to send you out so that you could also scatter into the world and do life on mission. Um, and, and so let me let me just read the, the first couple of verses to you so you can see it here. It says in verse one, after this the Lord appointed seventy two others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So he's taking his disciples and he's sending them out. And and the number there, if you've got a little footnote, in some versions it talks about seventy, and some versions it talks about seventy-two the actual number isn't as important as the thing that it's alluding to. It's alluding to the fact that way back in Genesis chapter 11, there was this group of a bunch of nations, there were 70 or 72, and now Jesus over and over in his ministry, he keeps pointing to this fact that if you're going to follow him, there are implications to the very ends of the earth. That he wants not only Israelites to know this incredible God and his saving work, but but all the nations of the earth should be made aware of God's saving work. So he sends out 72 others and he sends them ahead of him to every place that he was about to go. Verse two, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. There's an incredible harvest. There's an incredible reality in front of the people of God. And he's saying what, what, what we need to be about as his followers is praying that God would deploy people into the harvest field. And then he says, go, I'm sending you. So I take that to be very important for who we are as a church, that there's an incredible work to be done. The world desperately needs Christ followers to make known the message of salvation. We're going to pray that God would send people out. And then we're going to volunteer ourselves because he's saying, go, I'm going to send you. So as a church then, one of the things that we want to be passionate about is being on mission, doing life on mission. So at our site, we've talked about this. We talked about every member on mission, every member with a ministry. And we think through, okay, we gather on Sunday morning and this is important, but you guys this week are going to go and do different things. Phil's going to go into the library system and and he's going to work with people that that I never come into contact with, but he has a, a mission there and a ministry of being an ambassador of Christ and making known the goodness of God and the saving message of Jesus Christ. So each of you, you you each get every week, we do it this way. We say, you're not dismissed, you're sent. And we're trying to remind you that you have a a ministry, you have a mission. Your life then is getting hijacked by the gospel and you're supposed to use it then intentionally to glorify God. And so as a church, that's an important thing that we want to embrace, that we, we gather for the sake of scattering. We do things on Sunday morning with the in- intent of equipping you and inspiring you to actually go away from here and do the brunt of the, the work, to do the brunt of the, the ministry. So that's an important feature of us as a church. We are a missional church. Now I'm going to spend some time talking about key features then. okay. So, so he gives us, he gives the disciples instructions, and all of these become elements then of um, doing life on mission. So so let's go ahead and march through them. I'm just going to bullet point them. Um, But the first one is wisdom. If we're going to do this, we need wisdom. If you look at verse three, it says, go, I'm sending you. But then he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And he's just making it very clear. If you're going to do life on mission, if you're going to be sent out by Christ himself, you have to be aware that there are enemies that there are wolves who will destroy you, that you could be eaten alive doing this thing. And so we, as the people of God, we need wisdom because this is a hostile assignment. We're going into the world to make known the message of Christ, but there's hostility toward that. And so we're going to have to have resolve and, and wisdom. We're going to need, um, sorry, this thing keeps buzzing. Turn that thing off. Um, we're going to need wisdom to be able to do this. And I was reminded over the last couple of weeks of how real this is. It was very, it's very naive to think all we have to do is gather for an hour on a Sunday morning and open the word together and sing the word together. And that's sufficient. That's not true. There's, there are wolves who want to hunt you down and destroy you. There are enemies of the people of God who who are hostile to the things that we care deeply about and there are influences on our lives. So we need tons of wisdom. We need to be following the good shepherd, Jesus Christ himself, and and believing that he's gonna keep us safe and he's gonna keep us on task. We should be praying that he's giving us good under shepherds, pastors who who are doing the work of protecting you and guiding and leading you in the places that God wants to take you. But we're going to need incredible wisdom if we're going to do this well. And so we should be praying for that. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Then we also need to be dependent upon God. He says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. He's teaching us that we're going to go on mission, but we're going to have to rely on God to provide for us. And he he gives the disciples a very specific way that that plays out. Don't bring any provisions for yourself, but the principle transcends that. It's basically saying that whenever we're on mission, we should be in such deep water that we need God's help. We don't want to do ministry in a way where we could look back and explain it. And go. It was you know. Look at the gifts that we have within here. Look at the plan that we executed. Look at the the resources that we deployed in order to do ministry. We actually want to look at our ministry and go. We did it because God provided for us, and we took steps of faith well beyond our capacity, and God showed up and magnified His glory through us. So we're going to we're going to learn to be dependent upon Him. We're going to trust in the Holy Spirit of God in us as we go about ministry. now, when you engage in in your life on mission, that should be something that you feel, that you realize what I'm doing then is well beyond my bandwidth. I'm not just telling, I'm not just doing stuff in my own strength, but I'm depending upon God to show up every single day. And I'm trusting in Him. And, and when I do that, then I'm learning what it looks like to walk by faith in the Son of God. So we need to be dependent people. We need to recognize the urgency of the task. It says, don't greet anyone along the road. And, and you know back then there were formalities of if you saw someone and you're traveling, you'd kind of stop and you'd do the little interaction. But if the task was, was significant and there was an urgency to it, you would bypass all of that formality stuff to get to the place that you're going. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to be his follower, it's important that you would set this as a priority that you would begin to think through, what would it actually look like if I were doing my life on mission and I had an urgency about it? So there's a lot of other stuff that I do in my life, but I'm actually orienting my life around the task of making known the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm bypassing other opportunities. I'm setting aside other things that I could be doing because I want to be about the mission of God. I remember um, Francis Chan telling a story about his grandma and they went to a uh, play and they were at a play and uh, Francis looks over at uh, his grandmother who he thought was, she's an incredible godly woman. And she, he, he said she looked sick and he kind of leaned over and he said, grandma, what's, what's going on? And she said to him, this is very nice, but I'd rather be praying for people right now because she had such a heart for the mission of God, that even though she had total liberty to enjoy, to go to a play and enjoy stuff like that, in that moment, she was so thinking about God and thinking about the, the needs of the, the harvest and the world in front of her. And she's going, man, I, I can sit here for a couple hours and enjoy this play, but what I'd rather be doing is spending time on my face, praying for those who, are, who, who need to hear the message of salvation. And that's kind of a, a picture then of what we should be doing. We should be orienting our lives around the mission. There should be an urgency about it. And so as we look at our week, let's be thinking through how does the mission of God show up? I don't just want to go through my routine. I want to be on mission with God, loving and serving other people. Now, the, the, the ministry is going to require us to be people of prayer. You see it in verse two, ask the Lord of the harvest. But in verse five, it tells us, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And it's a, it's a prayer. It's saying, God, would you please allow your goodness to fall on this place? Okay, so if we're going to do our lives on mission, one of the features will, will look like this. We go through life with our eyes wide open, praying for God's goodness to visit the places that we're going. So this week, you're going to go into your place of work but you should be praying, God, would your peace and your blessing be very evident here? Would your peace and your blessing show up in this place so that there are opportunities for people to experience your goodness? And so we, we're people of prayer. It's a big feature of the work that we do. Um, and, and And I think that it should mark everything that we're doing. We should be spending significant time In prayer. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of my prayers are very self oriented. They're about me and my family and this ministry. But I would love to grow in my prayers for the community and the places that we go and be praying God, would your goodness visit McChesney Park? Would your goodness fall on Harlem High School? Would your goodness go to these elementary schools in the area? Would your peace show up in such a profound way that people want an explanation? And we have, as the people of God, opportunities to tell them the good news. So doing life on mission will involve prayer. And I think it would be wise for us to make a plan that if you've got a prayer journal that you begin to kind of tuck into there, how am am I going to pray for people that I'm going to interact with? I want to pray that God would help me be on mission. All right, another feature of being on mission is to look for people who are receptive. Look at verse 6. When you enter a house, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now, here's the principle. It's saying when you're doing life on mission, you should be looking for open doors. In fact, in missionary training, this is one of the things that they tell people. Whenever you go into a new location, spend time praying for and then trying to identify a person of peace. Meaning somebody from that culture who's there, but they're open to the things of God. Now, some of us have hard callings of going to those who are you know, opposed to the message. Some of, some of them might be family members, and you can't just say, look, I'm not going to talk to you about this. But some, some of us have that hard calling. But one of the important principles Jesus is teaching here is, it's, it's, it's a good strategy to look for people who are open and willing, a person of peace who will receive the message gladly, And when you identify that person, that open door gives you opportunities then to talk about spiritual things. And so let's look for people of peace. Now, right now in this moment, as you're thinking through your your week and the people you might interact with, begin praying, who is the person of peace? Who's the person of peace that I get to spend my time with? Maybe it's a neighbor, Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a you know somebody who's a client, but you should be looking for that person of peace uh, and and I think by finding that person, um, lots of good things will happen because it builds momentum when multiple when when you get a person of peace and they begin to have these conversations, they actually become an advocate for Jesus himself, and that's how it works in in ordinarily in missions that when you find that person of peace, it results in many, many good things. So we should be looking for people who are open to the message, people who we can describe as the person of peace. All right, here's the next thing. And this is really important for us to wrestle with. If we're going to do life on mission, I think that it's very important that we would both receive and practice hospitality. Look with me at verses seven and eight saying after you've entered a home, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Here's such an, this is such an important, it's a radical but very normal thing for us to do. We should actually receive and practice hospitality. It's, I think it's going to be one of the most effective ways to make known the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. When we think about evangelism, too often we think it is an event that we have to get unbelievers to, so that a professional can tell them the message, or, or we think it's like a like a um, almost like a sales thing, right? That is some kind of you present it in such a compelling way that they respond favorably to it. Which, by the way, do we really want reluctant disciples that we convince? to agree. I mean, one of the, the adages is that a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And if you do a good job of sales and you present Christ in such a powerful way, they might agree with you on the spot. But if they're not totally convinced and they don't see him as a treasure and a value to them, uh, though they can say, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll pray a prayer, I'll make a decision, uh, they, they, they might walk away from the faith because they're not actually convinced. Um, and I was thinking about that this week of how so often when we do, when somebody's good at sales, you can go into a meeting and I've, I've got a couple ideas in my head. I'm not going to give all the details because that would spoil it. But somebody can, can say, um, I don't need this product. It's, I don't even have the money for this product, but they can get into an, an interaction with a salesperson and they can come out of that meeting going, that product is amazing. I have to figure out how to get that. Too often, we think of of telling the message of Christ in that sort of way, where we just have to nail the presentation. Here's what I'm trying to get at. I think one of the most effective ways to help people embrace Christianity is hospitality. If we will receive and practice hospitality. He's telling his disciples, when you go into a new location, eat with people. Eat with people. And again, it's such a radical but ordinary concept. Open a table to other people. So in your homes, your table should be a place where you're doing mission. Neighbors are there with you, having meals with you. You go to their home and you sit at their table. What was one of the major critiques that people made of Jesus? He was a, he was a glutton and a drunkard, and he spent too much time eating and drinking with sinners. We should have that same critique being made of us, that we practice and receive hospitality with unbelievers. We spend time at tables, eating meals together and, and having conversations. Because I think the relationships that are built around a table are gonna give us lots more opportunity to be able to share the message of salvation with them. And I think that's a beautiful thing. For, for Ash and I, we've been trying to practice this more often. Uh, our, our house for me can just feel like an oasis and I just wanna kind of you know pull the mode up when I drive in uh, drive into my house, close the garage door. I don't have to deal with people. It's nice to treat my home like that. But what if, I tr- what if I treated my home instead like a mission hub where it's an open door for people to come in and have meals and spend time together? And, and, and so Ash and I, we've been trying to do this more often and, and it's, been, it's been awesome. And I don't have any like great success stories about it of you know, neighbors who've committed their lives to Christ, but there are relationships that are being built and I think that's significant because that means that people are having the opportunity to interact with Christ's messengers, and, and um, that's going to be a beautiful thing. So for us, each of us in here, we should be thinking through, how can I receive and practice hospitality? What could I do with my schedule and my routine to do this better? And it doesn't just have to be in your home. It can also happen at work. Use any mealtime for mission. So instead of driving through a drive-through window, you know, and get, getting your food and then sitting in a parking lot, which I'll do sometimes, I'll sit, I'll get Culver's and I'll sit in a parking lot and eat by myself. You have if you have a lunch break, if you have an hour break or whatever where you can have a meal, try to invite people into that. There's a reason why when you eat, it's it's a it's a worship experience. You you smell things, you taste things. You if the food is good, you you can actually worship God. Mm, This is awesome. This is good. And all of that is supposed to be an opportunity to reflect on God's goodness and share that with other people. So I think hospitality is a big key for us being on mission. So um, let's try to to embrace that. And here's another thing. Another key feature of being on mission is meeting the needs of those around us. In verse 9, he tells the disciples to heal the sick who are there. And he's giving, them, he's giving them authority to to find needs there and then with his power to actually meet those needs. And that doesn't go away. I think that Christians are people who go into the world and we identify needs and we look for opportunities to meet the needs of those people. And even if we, you know... We, we just have so many resources available to us in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and meet needs. I'm going to share with you some ideas that are um, not fully formed yet, but they're very exciting. Um, and, and Tim and I are going to meet and have lunch this week to talk about how this is going to work with our groups. But uh, I want to share it with you guys this morning at the nine o'clock. It could change. It could be revised. There's going to be some tweaks on it. But here's one of the things that we're going to do what we want to do is we want you guys to be identifying and strategizing for how to meet needs. Okay. So here's how this could work. What if every group was given a certain budget to be able to do community service? And you guys were able to kind of go, hey, I'm aware of a need here in our community and I know how we could meet it. And then as a church, we're, we're getting behind you and saying, we're gonna resource you to be able to do that. We're gonna give you the best practices, some ideas. We're gonna give you, physical, you know, some, some monetary stuff. We're gonna give you what you need and, and, and we're gonna resource you as a group to be able to do help for people who are in need. And, and, and you know, what if that just became a thing? And some of you guys might not be in a group yet, but what we're trying to do is connect the care for people to actual relationships. And if you know me, I'm not an event planner. So if I'm sitting around trying to daydream, how should we all be doing community service? That's a bad plan. If I'm trying to organize all of that, that's a bad plan. But what if I say, you guys have permission and resources and authority to get after this. So use your big brains and figure out what the needs are and figure out how to meet those needs. I think that has tremendous ability to be an effective way to serve our community. Uh, we want to meet the needs, whatever those needs are. You guys are in the community doing life. You can identify needs. We can strategize for it. We can, we can throw some, some weight into it, and I think you guys will be able to do a great, great job. Um, so I, I'm excited about that. I think that's what Jesus calls his followers to do, to meet needs, whatever they are to we want to try to get after that. So we have a mission and as a church, we're organizing to do the mission well. All right, we have a message. The message is the gospel. Look at verse nine. Tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Not only do we go into the world on mission, but we go into the world with a message that we need to share with other people. And the message is that the king is here. The King has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And so we want to help every member of our campus to be be able to share this incredible news. We want to deploy you not only to do good in the community, but also to share the love of God and the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Now, there's a bunch of things I think we need to do to get better at this, okay? How can I with integrity say, every person who's a part of our campus feels equipped and able to share the message. Okay. Doesn't that feel daunting uh, to, to think through? How can we make sure that every person who's in here is, is able and feels comfortable going out and sharing the message of Jesus Christ? So there are some things that we want to do. Um, I, I've got some ideas uh, that I'll share with you guys later, but some different things that we can do collectively to try to get us all better at sharing the message. Um, But one of the things that is very, very important is your participation in groups. If you want to be good at sharing the message of Jesus, there's actually a connection between participating in a group and being willing and able to share the message. Uh, LifeWay Research did a bunch of studies and then they published a book called Transformational Groups. And one of the insights that they had from that is if you are in a group, you are far more likely to share a message with people. Why is that? And I, I was thinking about it this week. It's because if you're doing it on a normal basis, if you're connecting spirituality with your ordinary life and you're talking to people about that, then going into your workplace or going to a neighbor and doing the same thing, it just feels normal. That's what you do. So I I do it on a Tuesday night with my group, but I'm also then able to just do it naturally with other people. It doesn't feel like this daunting thing that I've never done before. I did it on Tuesday. Does that make sense? So if you're in a group, you're far more likely to share the message with other people because it's something that you're learning to do and you're practicing on a regular basis. So we want every person from our campus to be able to do this. And we're going to strategize and, and help you to feel comfortable with it. Um, but we have a message and it is the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And one of the exciting things about this is uh, you, you see here in, in the text in front of us that how people respond to you is actually how they respond to Christ. Here's what this means. You have a very, very dignified calling. It's incredible that God uses ordinary people like me and like you. And he says, look, I'm going to put on your lips a message of salvation and how people respond to that message that you deliver has an effect on their salvation and all of eternity. So, so you have this incredible, incredible calling. You can look in verses 12 to 15, where it talks about how uh, if people listen to the disciples and they reject the, the message of the disciples there are towns that they were familiar with that that he's saying, look, the judgment that that has come on places like Sodom and Gomorrah and these other places, he's saying when people reject you, it's even worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're familiar with that story, uh, fire from heaven fell down and just torched the entire place. And he's saying the way that people respond to you has that sort of weightiness to it. You, and me, this is crazy, isn't it? That God gives us the message of salvation and he says, look, how somebody responds to you has, a tr- has tremendous weight to it. Look, look with me, verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Here's the point. When you are sent by Jesus Christ and you open your mouth on, in his name and you share his message How people respond to you is actually how they respond to Jesus himself. Now that should do a couple things to you. It should actually give you some swagger. You should be walking around like I can open my mouth and tell people the message of salvation and it can have an eternal effect on people. That should give you some swagger. But at the same time, it should be this humbling thing as well where you're just realizing the weight and the gravity of the calling that you have. It's incredibly dignified and God doesn't reserve it for the special few. He gives it to the 72 and we don't even know their names and he gives it to you and he gives it to me. He says, look, I'll use ordinary followers of mine. I'll put my words in their mouth and they will announce this message and what people do with that message will have an effect for all of eternity. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we as a church need to embrace that high calling and equip you and prepare you to go out and make that message known. All right, finally, the motivation. The motivation there, we see it at the end. The 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even demons submit to us in your name. So when you're on mission and you get to see the glory of God on display in real time, it is exciting. Right? You come back, you're geeking out. You're like, this is insane. I went and, and the Holy Spirit of God did some things and it was crazy and we're filled with joy and even demons are submitting to us and, and all of this stuff is happening. And Jesus wants to take a moment to pump the brakes and just say, but I want something deeper than the effects of ministry to motivate you. I want something much deeper than simply the result of doing ministry together to give you joy and excitement. And he puts it this way in in 18 through 20. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying there is tremendous power at work here. You can, you can be safe, you can be protected even from, from scorpions and snakes and you can see the spiritual warfare stuff going on in real time and all of that's exciting and you get to be a part of that. But he's saying that is not the main motivation for being on mission. That's not the main thing that should excite you. He's saying there's something deeper and better. Rejoice instead that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice in your salvation rejoice in that God has so loved you that he sent his son to die in your place and he's gifted you with eternal life and a righteousness that belongs to Jesus Christ, but you get credited to your account. Rejoice in the gospel. And and here's how we say it around here. When this becomes the primary motivation in your heart, we call it gospel confidence. We call it gospel confidence. It's when you are so aware of your relationship with God and the privilege that that is, and, and your acceptance, the, the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus, the fact that you're right with God, when you have that at the very foundation of who you are, you can go through anything. You, you, can, you can experience tr- tremendous blessings in your life and ministry, and you can rejoice in God. But at the core is this reality that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's a gospel confidence. You can also go about ministry and have zero effectiveness in the immediate. You can be like Jeremiah, who's just preaching to everyone and nobody listens. They reject his message, but you have a gospel confidence because your joy isn't determined by the results. It's determined by your relationship with God. That gives you a confidence that is unshakable. That's what we want. We want the motivation for all of us to be, we have a relationship with the living God. He loved us. He sent his son to die for us. He's gifted us with his spirit. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. That is sufficient. That's my motivation. And if that's true, then I'm going to let my entire life be co-opted into his mission. And I'm going to do everything with intentionality and everything with the intent of helping people know this God who who so loved me. And I want to make that message known as well. So as a church, we want to be a missional church. We want every member to be on mission with a ministry, doing their life very purposely for the glory of God. We want um, every member of our church to feel comfortable and, and encouraged and equipped to share the message of salvation with people. And we want to be motivated by the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I think if we do that, it's going to be very, very exciting. And I will say this, you know, as I as I think back, I mean, for whatever reason, I kind of got nostalgic this week and I went over kind of all the old plans of getting ready to launch and all the old proposals. And I was looking over this stuff and just thinking through, okay, back then, this was all a pipe dream. And I was wondering, what is this actually going to look like when we start gathering and doing this thing? And I had some some high hopes and some aspirations for what the church could be and what it could become and, I, and I'm just thinking that this morning, as I think about where we're at as a church, we're doing it. And that's exciting that we're actually embracing this way of life and this way of doing ministry together. And it's just, it's just fun. And so thank you guys for being a part of this. I'm going to invite the band to come up and I'm going to pray and we're going to worship once more. But let's pray first. Lord, thank you that you've called us as a church to be about your, your ministry, Lord, to be about mission. And um, so easy, God, to just get focused on us and our needs and our comforts and, and what we think church should look like so that we can happily and comfortably come and, and experience something. But God, keep our eyes up, Lord. There is a harvest. And there are people this morning who you know, aren't, aren't very far from this campus, just right around here, who desperately need to hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. Help us to be your ambassadors with your message, with your mission. Help us to be doing life in a way that helps other people know and experience this God that, that we worship. God, we're going to lift our voices right now and we're going to sing to you, but, but we're going to do that with an awareness that there are other people who, who we want to be lifting their voices. So help us, God, to be a church that's on mission, reaching other people with the love of God in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.